Uh, go ahead and grab your Bibles. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 1, verses uh, 15 through 23. We've been, through, uh, we've been going through this series uh, called Together We Believe, and what we've been looking at is, is the five solas, and I'm going to unpack that more for you, but we're, we're going to just get right to the text this morning, and, and what we're really going to unpack from that, um, your fill-in-the-blanks this morning, is that our belief is not rooted in systems, but in Christ alone, where we walk in a new identity. And so this is our uh, fill in the blanks, the whole kind of uh, sentence that really we're, we're driving not only out of this text, but out of this subject of this sola. And so if you have a Bible, we're going to uh, be in Colossians chapter 1. We're going to be starting in verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. So just right off the bat, as we're talking about this sola, what we look at is that our belief is not rooted in systems. So really what we need to understand is that historically, one of the ways that, that Christians really have given a, a defense for the gospel has been through these five solas, which really show us ultimately how God has saved his people. And, and so we covered over the last couple weeks that it is by grace alone, through faith alone, and then this week we'll look at in Christ alone, revealed in scripture alone, all to God's glory alone. And so really that word alone is crucial because if you add anything to grace or you add anything to faith or you add anything to Christ or scripture or God's glory, you completely move away from the truth of the gospel. And so this series is not about addition to what God's done in scripture. No, it's actually the clarification that we need to not be about addition in scripture. And so these five phrases were particularly developed in the 16th century, because at the time, the gospel was not what the church was teaching, and it was not what they were living. And so these five solas were created to really summarize the reformers' basic theological principles that really were in contrast to certain teachings of the Roman Catholic Church. This was the church at the time. You, you didn't have the Catholic Church over here, the Lutheran Church over here, the non-denominational church over here. The church was just the church. And it was by the Roman Catholics that this was established. And so because at the time, the church really had traded this perfect savior and mediator for a system of methods, a lot of problems really crept into the church. And really in that era, as we also know now, 
Everyone knew there was an issue of sin. In one way or another, people understood the issue of sin and that there was judgment and wrath from God. And so the, the question really came about for every person, how do sinful people like us escape hell and get saved? And so really the Catholic Church brought forth an answer for this, really by saying you need to listen to us. You need to come under our authority. We have a special system in place where you can pay off your sins and earn some merit and favor with God. And so really it was about submitting to their system to try harder and and really hope for the best. And so the reality was that in in all of this work, you probably still weren't going to make it to heaven after you die. But, but hopefully you could spend a few uh, thousand years in purgatory, burn off your sins, and then, and then maybe upgrade. But, but really, the church offered a system of salvation. It, it wasn't through these five souls. Before these were created, there was a system of salvation that the church really offered. And it was a system that even, as I described, really lasted beyond the grave. That even if when you died, you, you couldn't just get off the, the treadmill of the system, there was still purgatory to go through. There was still work to be done for you. And your whole life then was taken up by a, a system of church things. Not of God things, but of church things. And, and so church was about doing, it wasn't about what was done. It was about going to mass, going to confession, doing penance, paying, praying your specific set of prayers, visiting shrines, buying indulgences. And so ultimately, this system was a way for you to pay off your sin and hopefully maybe get in good with God. So many people were really led astray by this belief, by this system. And so this is why the reformers really desired to put in place these five simple phrases for the commoner that would point them back to scripture. Because remember what we've talked about through this series was these five solas are, are, were not created to, to say, look at how great we are as the reformers. Look at how much we can, in addition, create to scripture. But remember, back in that day, scripture was not readily available like it is today. See, the texts and the manuscripts, those were under lock and key in monasteries and in political arenas. These were not texts that were readily available to the commoner. And if they were, they were not understood because they were all in Latin. And so really, as you had this division and this issue, there was all of these things that the church was saying, here's what you need to do in order to earn through this system. And so really the reformer said, no, 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 this is so far from scripture. So, so we want to make this really simple because scripture in of itself is simple on this. So we're not going to try and create a new system. We're going to point people back to scripture that we're saved by God's grace alone, that it's only by his kindness and his mercy and his love. So it's not about ascending through the ranks of, of some system. It's purely about his loving kindness coming down to our level to save us. And then we take hold of this salvation by faith alone, that it's simply by trusting in him that God graciously gives us salvation. And all we do, all we do is receive his gift. And so we talked about that last week of our response is faith. And then we look at his, his gift, which he gives is Christ alone, that Jesus is our savior and he is all we need. He is all we need, so it's Christ alone as we look at this week. And we all know that this is through Scripture alone. We, we see this, we learn this from Scripture. So we don't need the Pope or, or the church to help us interpret the Bible. The, the Bible is, is clear. 
The Bible alone can tell us how to be saved through faith in Jesus. And so it's not through the, the methodology or the systems of anyone, but, but it's through Scripture alone that we learn what our salvation is. And then all of this ultimately is to God's glory alone. And so this is really not a system because it's not where God does some of the work and then God does get some of the glory and then we do some of the work and then we get some of the glory. No, we do absolutely nothing. And so he does everything. And so to him be all the glory in this. So do you hear the difference from, from this system of the church to, to what is clear in Scripture? This was the, the main desire for the reformers, saying, listen, our, our belief is not rooted in systems, but in Christ alone. So as the reformers really stood apart from the, the system of the Catholic Church, they were firm. Listen, we are, we are founded in Christ alone. He's the only thing we need. He's the only thing at all. And in fact, we see this in the New Testament. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, Paul reminds Timothy, of this, he says, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus, Christ Jesus. So out of all of the solas, this is the most problematic today. And, and, and not, in, not in, in the religious perspective, not in Christianity. This isn't, this isn't the problematic thing in the church. It's the problematic sola in the culture, in the secular sense. Because as we are looking at this Latin term, Christus sola, these sola Christus, Christus we love. We love Christ. We, everybody in one way or another loves a good story about Jesus. And so whether you look in the church and they say, man, we love who Christ is, the, the foundation of our faith, the, the new covenant that we have. That's what you see in the church. Outside of the church, you say, man, we love that hippie guy who brought a bunch of bread and fish. And so everybody has this idea of who Jesus is, and they love this idea, but, but you bring in that alone statement, and, and, and that changes things. So, so now it's in this Jesus that you love, that you are only founded in, that you only receive salvation in. See, this is constantly a problem that comes up in our culture because we live in a postmodern age. And if for you that's kind of a, a new a new word, a new statement, that really means that our culture has largely abandoned the notion of truth. And so there's this, there's this uh, basic idea that there's relativism. So for you, whatever you believe, that's your own truth. Whatever I believe is my own truth. And so for me to say uh, Christ alone saves us, that, you know, through postmodernism and relativism, it would say, well, that's your belief, and I remember even back in um, early 2000s um, where this was even growing within the church, this postmodern kind of movement. This was a, a movement in the church called the Emerging Church. And this was ultimately a, a post-Protestant, post-Reformed movement. But I will tell you that the more interesting thing about this to me was how the church attempted to combat this movement. Because at the time, my, my peers and I, when we were teens, we really wanted to be the church. We wanted to be the church. And so as the, the postmodern uh, emerging church emerged, this was an opportunity. The, the whole idea was, 
We, we didn't see what was harmful at the time, but the idea was to engage the culture around us by using the arts, by engaging on more than just a come-to-church invitation level, but really come experience God. And this was enticing. And so we lit candles, we lowered the lights, we played worship songs our parents weren't singing, and we did things that the mainstream wasn't doing. And, and, and all along, what we really thought was, we're acting like the early church. We're gathered in an upper room, because that's where you stick a youth group. We're, we're lighting candles. We're, we, we, man, we must be like the church. But really, through the influence of bad leadership, what happened was we were led more and more astray by the movement of postmodernism, where the question in the church went further away from, how do I grow closer to Jesus, to what if, what if I don't agree that Jesus is the only way? And, and, and let me just say that this is different than, than, than wrestling with faith and doubt. This is where the church would welcome in and say, hey, you, can, you just think whatever you think. You're on, a, you're on a journey. You're on a path. And so this kind of began to crept into the church. And this idea really brought us away from Christ alone. It really brought us to this kind of free-spirited thinking of, hey, uh, the Bible's great, but all of this stuff is good too. So, so we're not going to be set apart anymore and say it's Christ alone. We're going to have this and. We're going to have Christ and fill in the blank. But, but really what I'm more, more saddened, by, saddened by in the midst of that was how our elders responded to that. And, and not the elders of the church, but those older than me. Because we never had any one person older than us or more mature than us that just simply said, no, it's just Jesus. They never had pointed us back to Jesus. We were told we were wrong. That was it. And, and let me tell you, I, I know we were wrong, but there was more. That the, the church culture was so scared about how the system would change that no one was concerned with sharing, sharing the truth of the Savior. And so I share all of this with you because my, my prayer is that that would not be us. Because we need more than an argument about method. We, we need our mediator. We need Jesus. And so really the, the reason for this sola being so important is saying, let, let's get off the, the bandwagon of, of method and the argument of, of how you go about all these things and really ask the main question, is Christ everything? Is it Christ alone? Are we adding anything to that? Well, well, Scripture's clear that it's Christ alone. He is, the, he is the highest above any other. And so really what we need is an a honest, truthful response. And so this is why Paul really writes to the Colossians in verse 18 and 19 that we read, that he, being Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Look at that relationship. All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. God gave that to no one else but Jesus. So you see, there is no other. It is Christ alone. So Jesus then is the way to God because he is the truth of God. 
He is the way to God because he is the truth of God. So if I could just simplify that for you and just put it into a sentence, it would be that Jesus is God's gracious self-disclosure of himself. So if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. And really, Jesus made bold claims. And so this is where scripture really shows us that it's Christ alone. These are the bold claims that Jesus made, that he, he claimed that he was sinless. In John eight forty six, he says, which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? He claimed that he was sinless, that he lived a perfect life like no one else. I mean, if we just go through all the other religious systems, Muhammad, Gandhi, if we go through righteous people, if we look at Mother Teresa and, and some of the great saints of our time, none of them are perfect. None of them are sinless. So you may even be a good person, but you're not God. And, and so ultimately, this is, this is a great divide because Jesus said he is God. In John chapter 10, verse 30, he says, I and the Father are one. Not just that the Father has sent me, but I and the Father are one. So as we look at this more, Buddha, Krishna, Muhammad, Gandhi, none said they were God. None said they were God. Only Jesus made the claim to be God. And and so this really speaks uh, offensively to the belief of contemporary thinking. This is a great divide because almost to, to say that, that Jesus alone is what saves us in our culture seems like kind of this backwoods old way of thinking. So to say that Jesus is the only way to heaven, to say and, and, and to mean that and to believe that with all of our hearts, there's, it's almost nothing short of intellectual suicide in the eyes of many people. So if you dare to proclaim what the Bible really says about Jesus, you risk a, a, an interesting kind of branding in our culture. That you're, you're branded a, a, an absolute fool, or, or worse, that, you, that you're narrow-minded, that you could be ultimately rejected for this belief. You could be criticized and even ridiculed, but, but let me just remind you what we see from Scripture, that regardless of that, Jesus is the truth. And, and I'll risk all of that to say Jesus is the truth. And no matter how hard you try, there is no other way to the Father. There is no other system. He is the fulfillment of the promise. He is the only way to be in relationship with the Father, and he is ultimately the life that we live. He is the only way. And and then through him, when, when we acknowledge that it's Christ alone, when we put our faith and our belief in Christ alone, we walk in a new identity. This is the incredible part of our belief because through Christ alone, we've been reconciled where we are given a new identity. So in him alone, we walk in new life. And so Paul really puts it beautifully in our text this way when he says in in Colossians verses 21 through 23a, And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. 
Now, there's so much in there I, I really want to unpack for us, but just for the sake of our time, the, the piece that, that really stands out is the difference of what Paul's talking about. There's really two, uh, two different people there. There's the, there's the us before Christ, and then there's the us in Christ. And so really what we have, if you look back to the Old Testament of Genesis 3, where we really see how busted up the world is, really what we have is a life in Adam. We have a life in Adam where that, that's our original fallen identity. And so Paul really lists that before Christ reconciled us, we were walking in this kind of life. We were alienated, we were hostile in mind, and we were doing evil. But really, in Christ, there's a whole new identity. There's a whole new way of thinking. And so our life in Christ is a redeemed identity given to us only in and through Christ. And so what this means is that you and I are reconciled. You and I are reconciled amazingly and undeservedly. Us and God are reconciled. So what what that means is then all of the death, all of the shame... And all of the condemnation that we deserve went to Jesus. And all of the forgiveness, all of the the love, and all of the grace that Jesus rightly has as the sinless son of God is given to us. Think about that for a second. So when we put our identity in Christ and choose to live a life in him, it's not based on who we think we are, but on who he is and what he has done. So this, this literally means that as we, from the moment we get up to the moment we go to sleep, we are walking in a Christ identity. And so this is what encourages us then to really reject the ways of our old identity. No, 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 that's, that's not how I'm called to live. This is how I'm called to live. And, it, and it's not about how perfectly righteous you attempt to be, It's about looking at the perfect righteousness of Christ alone. Where we're saying, man, it's not about, man, I've got to do better. I've got to try harder. I've got to be this this more perfect version of myself. No, no, no. That's system. Christ has done what needed to be done. And so the old things are the old identity. They're not what we're called to live in. And the old things may explain us but they no longer define us. And, and so maybe for us in our previous identity, really for us, what, what we said is, well, I'm American. This is my race. This is my culture. This is my family. This is, this is our history. This is our tradition. This is the way we live. This is the way we think. This is the way we go about life. And, and so these are the things that may explain you, but these are not the things that define you. So now your, your primary identity is in Christ. And ultimately, when we are in Christ, then we assume, by the grace of God, the position of Christ. And this is where the cross gets really important. Because Jesus goes to the cross where we were rightfully owed to go. He takes our place so that we can take his place. And so what this does then is it changes our identity. So if we're in Christ, we assume the position of Christ And Christ assumed your position. That he suffered and died so that we might be blessed and live. So if you are in Christ, you stand in the position of Christ. You are loved as Christ is loved. 
You are blessed as Christ is blessed. You are embraced and adored as Christ is embraced and adored, and not by your perfect merit of righteousness, but by Christ alone. Remember the example I gave you last week of the report card. That if God was to look at our life as a report card without Christ, there's no other grade we would get but F. Because we fail every time. But when we receive Christ alone, when we put our faith and our hope in Christ alone, then we have no report card of our own. We walk in a new identity. It's not our report card, but Christ's. The, the perfect card is then extended where the Father receives us because he doesn't look at us, he looks at Christ in us. So you see, there is no other. It's Christ alone. No other but Christ alone. This is exactly what we talked about last week, that Christianity is not based on what we do, but upon what Jesus Christ has already done. So if you want to be saved, if you want to receive salvation You don't have to do anything. You just have to trust in what Jesus Christ has already done. That that is it. It's Christ alone. It's not a system where we look at, man, how how can I do better? How can I do more? But but by receiving and saying, "I, I receive and I believe and I walk in what Christ has already done. So so really what that does. It is that removes us from an identity of a victim to an identity of a victor. Do you see how different that kind of person walks around? I mean, this is a total dad illustration, so bear with me. It's the difference between Eeyore and Pooh, okay? So, so just, are you tracking with me? Like, Christians that walk around like Eeyore not only concern me, they annoy me because you have the greatest thing in the world. You have the greatest identity that the world not only doesn't understand, they need it, but they don't know it. And so Christ has put us here then with a purpose that that as we walk around, as we step into everything, that Christ would be the lens in which we see everything. That because of that identity shift, then, then that would change our attitude. That would change our behavior. That would change our relationships. So, so really, there's a challenge there. Because as you look at that example, what's Eeyore all about? Poor me. Poor me. So are, are, we, are we basing our life in an identity that's systems alone? Or are we basing our, our identity in Christ alone? that we go from victim to victor. Not because of us, not because of an awesome system we put together, but because of Christ alone. Let's pray.